privilege to be here before you as uh, we share in God's word together. Um, just wanted to, is Camilo still here? I wanted to thank him uh, for his uh, help this past week as uh, kind of still adjusting and getting settled in. He helped me build a, a desk in my office. And I remember uh, I was with him just sitting under the desk as we had just built it. And uh, he was so encouraging. He was uh, saying how he was encouraged uh, last week by our worship together, our time together. He really blessed me just in, in those minutes as we kind of sat under the, de- under the desk together. So yeah, blessings uh, to him and his family as they journey um, as God is continuing to lead them. Thank you, worship team, reader, prayer, as we enter into worship together. Let me pray for us as we uh, turn to God's word. Thank you, Lord, that you are present here in this place as we come and draw near to you. Lord, would you draw near to us? As we come to your word, the scriptures, would you open our hearts and our minds, open our ears to hear again your voice speaking to us. Help us receive what you will have for us. Help us to remember the things that you have already taught us Help us to learn new things today as we turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I'd like to talk to you about what has been reported to me as one of the most important things, one of the important needs at Granville Chapel, and that is community, the need for community, and perhaps to organize community life uh, among us here at Granville. It also happens to be one of the topics in the series of three life lessons that we're going through together, lessons that I've I've learned over the years um, about what's crucial to me and to ministry and to life, the Christian life. So last week, we talked about authenticity and truth. Uh, This week, we're talking about community and love. And then next week, we're going to look at discipleship and growth. This morning, what I want to do is I want to look at uh, three passages with you, actually. Two of them were read out this morning, and then one more I'll read out to you towards the end of the message that I have for you today. So first, I'd like to look at community in the Bible. I want to ask three questions of of the Bible, and the the three questions go like this. First, what does community look like in the Bible? How does the Bible describe community? Community, or fellowship, or sharing in fellowship. So what does community look like? How does the Bible describe it? Second, I want to ask, what, according to the Bible, enables community? What is it that enables us to actually enter into community together? And third, I want to ask a question. Why? Why should we want to be in community? What is it that draws us to community? And so for each of these texts and each of these parts of the sermon, I'll also share some stories with you, some of the experiences that I've had, especially in the last few years of community, of of my experience of community, and then um, hopefully encourage us and inspire us deeper and deeper into community. And as I share these experiences with you, um, I hope that you're able to kind of think back, reflect back, remember and perhaps even think about present experiences of community in your life, and let those be um, fuel for you. Let them be an inspiration, encouragement for you as we think about how we are going to do community together at Granville Chapel. 
Now, first, I'd like to start with a bit of a history lesson. Uh, actually, it's a history lesson of uh, the Hakka people. And the Hakka people um, are actually the culture of my ancestry. So I'm Hakka Chinese. And Hakka Chinese, uh, they actually originated from uh, northern China, and they uh, migrated to southern China in these waves of immigration. And I just want to talk about this for a minute and think about this as an illustration of community. So the Hakka Chinese people, they moved from northern China to southern China in these waves of immigration. And uh, one of the things that's unique about them, they came late into the territories uh, to which they settled eventually in southern China. So they were newcomers to southern China, and because they had already, uh, these lands that they came to had already been settled, these are just the different waves of migration from northern China to southern China of the Hakka people, beginning somewhere even as, as early as the 4th century and on into even the 18th, 19th century, and even into the, the modern world today. And really, the Hakka people have dispersed all over the world, one of the, the most... Uh, one of the most dispersed um, Chinese ethnicities uh, in the world. But as they settled into southern China, uh, they were latecomers. And so they actually were not welcome in southern China. They actually they couldn't build or they couldn't uh, build their villages and live in the regions which were in the fertile plains. They had to actually find their way uh, into the hillier, mountainous regions in order to, to live because they were not welcome in the, in, in the plains. And so they built these uh, round villages. This is one of the things that they're known for. Uh, these round villages, these walled villages in the hills and in the mountains, and they lived together. And... Part of the reason why they had to do this was because the people that were already living in that territory at the time, they didn't welcome them. In fact, they were hostile to them and treated them as enemies. And so they often had to defend themselves by building these walled enclosures, these villages, in order to survive. But more than just the physical isolation and their self-protection, what eventually happened as they lived in these villages was this heightened sense of community, this heightened sense of togetherness. In fact, there's this phrase in the Hakka language, tziganyin, actually it means our own people has developed. This phrase is kind of almost like code word from one Hakka person to another, that we're kind of our own people and that they'll identify each other as Hakka as they kind of come across other Hakka people. But this sense of community, imagine living in these enclosures. This is the inside of, of one of these villages, these round-walled villages, just living together, sharing life together, helping each other, helping uh, preserve life together, culture together, language together, protecting each other in this sense of a more hostile environment. I thought, what a tangible, wonderful expression of community, communal life. Now, something like this is what is going on in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has died and resurrected, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples in Jerusalem. And in response to Peter's sermon in Jerusalem, a large number, thousands of people repent and are baptized. And then Luke describes the forming of this very close-knit 
ideal community, the church in which this community shares life together, shares, in fact, everything together. And actually, when we read Acts chapter 2, it feels like this new thing is happening, but actually, what is happening in an Acts is actually not a new thing. It's just the end of what God has been doing all along, and we won't have time to trace that story throughout the scriptures, but really, it's throughout the whole scriptures, beginning in the very beginning in creation, God is creating community. He's creating people to be in relationship with each other. And Acts chapter 2 really is just a fulfillment of what this trajectory has been about all along. But I want to read verse 42 again. I want you to listen to the description of what it was that this community did. What it was that it looked like. It's actually a very simple formula. And they, the disciples, this is verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I'll read that out again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship or sharing and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Did you hear that? Very simple formula. Apostles' teaching, fellowship and prayer, or fellowship and sharing, breaking of bread and prayer. This past year, our our family has been part of a, a life group of about 22 people. There's two families of five, uh, so with six kids, our kids, and then another family's kids, um, Jason and Connie, actually. I'll talk about them in a, in a second. Um, and then about 12 young adults. So young adults sort of defined as being about 23, 24, all the way up to about 32 years old. Some of them were married and some of them were single. None of them had kids yet. But we met regularly uh, week after week about uh, three or four times uh, a month. And half the time we would just eat together. And then after we ate together, we would share and pray together. Then the other half of the time, we would uh, study scripture together and, and pray together and share together. That was all we did. It was fairly simple in terms of actually what our activities were. But over the course of a year, of a year that we met together, something really quite wonderful happened. This community was built. So I'll share some pictures with you. You can't see it in the background there, but this is at Stillwood Retreat. Uh, this is by Cultus Lake, and I think some of you know that camp very well, but behind the windows, it's snowing, so it was just beautiful. Uh, it was just blanketed in snow. We were the, this is after Christmas this past year. We spent retreat together, and uh, it was just beautiful because we had actually the entire campus all to ourselves, and uh, this is our, our time of uh, doing some sharing and prayer together. Uh, this group of about 20 or so of us. And then uh, this is a time of us uh, worshiping together as we sang songs and worshiped together. The, the group was actually, young adults especially, were very musical and sort of able to, to lead us in worship together. And here's another picture, studying together. We're digging into the Word and studying Scripture together. And then... Uh, one last slide, of course, we, we ate together, and on the last day, we shared a communion together, the Lord's Supper, 
but we're able to spend uh, three days eating together, spending time together. So again, listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship or sharing, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, right? Simple formula. That's what the community was about. When we left uh, this church about a month ago in August, I remember the last meeting that we had together and we prayed together. And um, I was just reflecting during that prayer of our time together and I got emotional. And I, I wept actually as we prayed because I realized that that was the closing of that season of our life together, our community together. And it had just been such a precious time of sharing, learning, being together, eating together, praying together, these very simple things, but it had really built into this beautiful rhythm of being community together. But the ingredients of community, what community looks like in the New Testament, is really quite simple. Now on to the next text that we had read out, John chapter 13. So I want to reflect on this text a little bit. This is a famous passage from the Gospel of John, and you all know it, is the washing of the disciples' feet. This is one of the more touching moments in the Gospel of John. The story of Jesus with his disciples, the very last meal that he has with them, and then as he eats this meal, he gets down on his hands and his knees, and then he begins to wash his disciples' feet. I think, though, sometimes we forget how radical that act is. It, it does sound radical, even as we read it or had it read out to us this morning. But in that culture, in that age, even much, much more radical than we think. First of all, you think about, there were no cars back then. There were no scooters. There were no bicycles back then. Everybody walked everywhere. And second of all, there were no closed toe shoes back then. Sandals was... The footwear people wore, if that, you know, sometimes they go barefoot. And then there's no paved roads, there's no sidewalks, and there are animals. And you know what animals do on roads or just on the side of the road? There are no sewage systems. So in other words, people's feet were pretty dirty, pretty messy. Dirt, dusty, dung, right? So I know some of you are young parents changing diapers, it's not a pleasant thing to do, right? I remember that stage too. It's not something you want to do. It's kind of gross, yet you have to do it. But people, hosts do not have to wash their guests' feet. In fact, it's below them to wash. Even though it's a culture of hospitality, hosts do not wash their guests' feet. It's below them. It's below them in terms of dignity. It's undignified to do that because it was just kind of gross. And so if you have a slave or a servant in your household, there'd be a basin at the entrance and they could wash your guest's feet. Or perhaps the, the guest could wash their own feet. Hosts, though, do not wash their guest's feet. And especially respected, reputable hosts like a rabbi or a teacher. And in our text, we're reminded not just a teacher, but what? Lord, Lord. So this is the word that's translated kurios, which is also the word that's translated as God in the Old Testament. Lord 
is what you call me. And for rightly so, Lord and teacher, that is what I am. And yet this is what I'm doing for you. He gets down on his hands and his knees and he starts to wash his disciples' feet, his friends' feet. Not just his friends, right? His, one of his enemies' feet. He will betray him. So one of the more touching moments in the Gospel of John. What is it that enables community ultimately? It is love. Love. And that's how our text began. It says, thank you, love. The text begins, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. That word means end, but it also means goal, telos. He loved them to the goal. He loved them to the finish line. He loved them. This is how he's going to finish the race. He loved them to the utmost. And of course, it's a foreshadowing as well, where he does not only just get down on his hands and knees, but he humbles himself all the way to death on a cross, Paul says in Philippians 2, death on a cross for them. That's the kind of love he demonstrated for them. That's what enables community in the end, isn't it? However deep our love for each other is how strong our community can and will be. I want to show you some more pictures. So those previous pictures I showed you were just from this past year, this life group that we had uh, with the young adults. <clears throat> but here is uh, a picture of our family, along with Jason and Connie. So they're just right here. I'm kind of embarrassing them and putting them on the spot. So Jason and Connie have kind of, uh, um, yeah, supporting us and joined us here in our time at Granville. But here's one of the first times we met together about four years ago. So we were attending a church together, and we were strangers at that time to each other. Our families were. And we sort of bumped into each other at the end of service uh, one Sunday, and our family was looking for a greater sense of community, and so was theirs. And we started chatting after service, as people do, and got into conversation, and then we said, let's go for lunch. And so this is one of the very first times we got to we're having sushi at the park. This is by our house at Sunset Park. And you can see Joshua there. He's still like, I don't know, 11 years old. He's kind of short and chubby, <laughs> not anymore. But this is one of our earlier times uh, when we got to know each other. And then we started to meet together uh, regularly. Uh, every week, actually, uh, we would get together and uh, we would have lunch together. And we actually uh, transitioned churches and COVID happened during this season. So this was uh, the end of 2019, uh, end of summer 2019. COVID happened a few months later, and then we transitioned churches, but we continued to meet together. Actually, they were kind of our church, and I think we were kind of their church, and we did this thing called microchurch uh, at the other church, where we basically just were church for each other. And I remember that season, just this very uh, basic ingredients, again, of uh, Scripture, sharing prayer, breaking bread together when we could. And eventually, we wanted to share that with others. And that's what happened in this last year when we invited young adults in that church uh, to share with us in community as well. It was such a great experience for us those years together that we said, let's invite others into it. And then the young adults joined us in this last year. And it was an even greater experience as we got to retreat together 
worship and pray together, eat together. So this is, um, this is a, one of the times that we shared together in ministry together, uh, serving one of the refugee families at that church, um, where it is the birthday of uh, Ramin, and we wanted to celebrate with him. And if we just cue the next slide, this is four years later. So there's Joshua again on the side. He's like about a foot taller, right? There we are. This is taken recently, this past August. And uh, they gifted us. These young adults were so so um, thankful. They gifted us with these uh, uh, beautiful albums, photo albums of, of memories of our time together. So how do we journey from four years ago, just barely knowing each other, to serving together, and then being able to bless uh, the church and this community together? As I reflect back on that time, I think it's just the daily, weekly, small sacrifices of love that we kind of opened our lives to each other, made space for each other in that weekly rhythm. I remember one of the things that uh, the Leongs did for us uh, during COVID. So do you remember that the height of COVID, um, we actually were not even allowed into grocery stores in greater numbers than a certain limited number, right? And so one of the things they would do, totally unsolicited, we didn't ask them to do this for us, that they would go to the grocery store, they'd buy their own groceries, and then they'd buy groceries for us, and they'd leave it on our doorstep. Just these little acts of love on a weekly basis. I mean, Jesus made the great sacrifice for us in order for us to be restored to God. But often I think what he calls us to do in order to establish community and build community are these small acts of love for each other. That weekly kind of rhythm, that daily kind of rhythm, that's what eventually over time builds community and strengthens community. Now, this is actually something that children in kindergarten learn, right? Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. Actually, it's very true. Sharing is at the heart of what community is. So this word actually, uh, the next slide here, koinos in the Greek, it just means sharing, pertaining to being of mutual interest or shared collectively, communal or common. That's why this word is used so often in this chapter two of Acts, in that text that we read out. Sharing, sharing, sharing. And that's why as that ideal community formed in the New Testament, that's what they did. They shared. In fact, they shared everything together, didn't they? They sold their possessions, their land, in order to, to share together what they had, in order to bless those around them and those in need. Now, not all of us are going to be called to that level of community. In fact, that's not even the norm in the New Testament. That was an ideal for that time as God was establishing his church. So not many of us will be called to that depth and level of commitment and sharing together. But it's just this act of sharing together. I believe, the small things, the weekly things, sharing life together that really creates and builds community consistently over time. Okay, one more passage for you. 
because uh, I feel, yes, there is commitment that is involved. Yes, there is sacrifice that is involved, even if we don't do it at the level of the Acts community and we don't do it at the level of Jesus giving his life for us. But in the end, why? Why do we want to do community? Why should we want to do community, especially in our culture, which tends to be very individualistic? We have our freedom, we have our autonomy, we have our, 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 our things that we like to do. Why would we want to do community? Why should we? That's a question I want to address. And here's the text that I have for us to help us think about it. Matthew 19, 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Yes, eternal life is part of it, but listen, he will receive a hundredfold. That's in contrast to eternal life. That's today he's talking about Jesus. It's not just about giving things up. Community in the end is not something you have to do. It is something that you get to do. Community is not something that you should do. It's something that is a blessing, is a promise, is a gift for us. And that is what I want to leave us on that note. In Mark, Jesus, uh, he is with his disciples. There's a story, he's teaching, he's performing miracles in the Gospel of Mark. And then someone says to him, your mother and your brothers are outside. And what does he say to, in response to them? He says, who are my mother and my brothers? He says, looking at his disciples around, him, he says, whoever does the will of God, the Father, is my brother and my sister, my mother. These are my family, he's saying. That is why the early church, we believe, started calling each other brother and sister. It's because Jesus called his disciples brothers. And yes, sisters. There were sisters, too, among his disciples, not among the 12, because that would have been perhaps too controversial in that day. But brothers and sisters, he called them brothers and sisters. That's why in this early church, they would call each other brother and sister. That's why there was this radical welcoming inclusion into the early church of all kinds of people, Jewish people and Gentile people. You know that in the Old Testament, God was moving in one direction. He seemed to be kind of making the, the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, separate from, holy, set apart from the other nations around them. And then suddenly in the New Testament, seems like this wall, this barrier is just broken apart. It's blown apart. And everyone comes in and everyone is called brother, sister, Jew, Gentile, you know, Jewish, Greek, male, female, slave or free. It says in Galatians, all are part of the people of God, brothers and sisters together. That's how powerful the sense of sharing and community was that we are brothers and sisters together. As I mentioned to you, um, in 2017, I stepped down from my role as pastor in the church that I've been serving in for 15 years. And uh, in fact, uh, it was a church not only that I served in as my first call, but also it was a church that I attended as a teenager, also the church that I attended and that I grew up in. So I spent uh, most of my life in this church. And when we left, it really felt like uh, we were kind of spiritually homeless. And it was a really difficult season, uh, that, those first several months, I remember. 
But God began to bring people uh, into our lives again. One of them were the Leongs. Um, I remember also JC and Inhi and their family continued to walk alongside us. They're part of our community. Here's a picture of us. Here we are, actually, this is last summer, not this past one, but the one before. Do you know, do you, does anyone know where this is? Anyone recognize? Yeah, it's hard to tell, but this is actually Germany. This is Germany. Uh, I studied in Germany for about a month at the end of my PhD, doing some German language and, and history. I, Grace is really excited there. <laughs> and uh, there you see JC and Inhi, and, Inhi, and Inhi. They visited us. They were living in France at the time, uh, southern France, and they drove all the way up just to visit us. And we shared together. We prayed together. We ate together. We spent some fellowship together. But we were in Germany, of all places, and yet they visited us. We had this time of community together. Wow, right? Here's another picture of us, all three of our families. Uh, we just happened to be um, camping that year, and we did this hike, um, this great waterfall, uh, just uh, at the end of it. Um, and he's got Eliana strapped <laughs> to her doing on that hike as well. But these wonderful memories that we have, here we are traveling, vacationing together in Montreal last year. This sense of community and fellowship that was built that we were entering into, what a gift it was to us. And one more picture here. <laughs> this is a great picture. It looks like it was taken like in the 70s or something because it's kind of faded. We're not that old, but uh, this is a, a great picture. This is impromptu taken from one of the young adults who's a, a photo enthusiast, photographer, and it's taken like with a real film camera and the film is actually dated or old aged and so it's kind of got this aged look to it and just captures the joy of uh, that moment at the end of our retreat there that we did together I just thought wow what a privilege that we get to do life together it's not something that we have to do it is something that we get to do that is the gift and blessing of community together. There is commitment, there is cost, and for us, probably more of a weekly, daily, small sacrifices, making room in our schedules, giving other things up, making priority for community, for fellowship, for a small group, for a ministry group, whatever it is, for a DNA group that you're a part of, making those kind of commitments. But in the end, it's not about something that you have to do, is it? It's something that, that we get to do. So just to summarize, what does community look like? What are the ingredients of community? Bible, prayer and sharing, breaking of bread, simple things. What enables community? Love, sacrificial love. And we may not be called to that kind of sacrificial love, but we can give our small, weekly, daily sacrifices, can't we, for the community and for each other? Why do we do it? Well, we get to do it. It's a great promise to us. It's a gift to us. So as we continue in this new era, so-called the Granville Chapel, as we get organized and think about how we do community together, I want to encourage you, if you're part of a community, part of some expression of a small group or 
or whatever it is that you're a part of, keep being faithful at it. Keep doing it. Keep finding perseverance and strength to, to meet together. And uh, if you're not part of a group, um, think about, pray about, where is it that God might want you to plug into a larger group? It doesn't have to be a big group, but a few people perhaps. Now who is it that God is calling you to, to journey together in life with? And it's my hope, hope of our leadership, that everyone, everyone at Granville Chapel will have opportunities for regular community, regular fellowship and Christian friendship together as we continue to organize ourselves at Granville. And if God is speaking to you about perhaps pressing on your heart, where am I finding community? You know, approach someone in the leadership. Approach one of the, the staff. Approach myself. Uh, you'll send an email to the office um, asking, where might I plug in into community more? <laughs>